Well, hello and welcome to episode 163 of The Cool Room, our final uh, online masterclass for 2022. What a fantastic year it's been. Uh, we thank everyone who supported the podcast, who's bought beers and kept things ticking over for us. Uh, we're going to have a couple of little online uh, quizzes, not quizzes, sort of surveys on our Facebook uh, going up in the next couple of days where you can choose your favourite beers, your favourite podcasts, your favourite can art uh, that we've seen over the years, uh, so or over the year. Um, so if you haven't uh, already joined us on Facebook and Instagram, great time to do so so that you can participate in those. Uh, really excited to be having our conversation tonight, but also really looking forward to our next couple of events. Uh, we have an In the Flesh event out at Hawker's on the evening of Thursday the 29th, uh, so make sure you jump onto Hawker's website and grab the tickets for that. And uh, we've also got Ocean Reach coming up in January. So again, make sure that you're going to our Shopify, getting the right beers in front of you so that you can make the most of the experience, just as people have done for Moffat Beach tonight. So if you're uh, wanting to make sure that if you're uh, listening to the podcast version, you have the right beers in front of you, the ones that we're going to be officially talking about tonight are going to be the Deadbeat Boyfriend, the Trilogy, the Josh Parker. Uh, our tasting pack has even more than those, but those will be the ones that we're going to be concentrating on. As we talk... To Matt Wilson. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you on board and really looking forward to hearing about both the Moffat Beach story and also your story as a brewer. Um, tell us, particularly for our overseas listeners and our, all of our Victorian listeners as well, if we were getting off the plane, how would we find our way to Moffat Beach? Um, we are the most southern beach um, on the, on the Sunshine Coast. So Moffat Beach is a um, suburb of Caloundra. So about 45 minutes in the car up from Brisbane from the airport on a good day if the traffic's good. So, yeah. Is the traffic good often? Um, yeah, every now and then. But um, <laughs> I actually drove from, um, I drove from Brisbane this afternoon and it was pretty rubbish this afternoon. Sorry about that phone ringing. That's okay. Do you need to get that? No, nah, there'll be someone want to sell me something or I'll just mute it. <laughs> I'll just talk amongst myself for a moment. But um, good opportunity for me to thank all of our overseas listeners. Always interesting to me who's listening and who's not around the world. Uh, hungry, you've dropped off a little bit hungry, but Egypt, for absolutely out of nowhere, Egypt, you're, I think, sitting about fourth or fifth in our international listener stats for December. So thank you, Egypt. Um, explain to our friends in Egypt. You know, what Calandra is like. Well, you know, what, describe the part of the world that we're in before we start to talk about the brewery itself. Yeah, uh, Sunshine Coast. So um, Calandra is a great little little township. It, as I said before, it's the most southern um, township on the Sunshine Coast. And it's almost got, almost like a peninsula. So you've got um, Golden Beach, which um, sort of is just across from Bribey Island. So there's no waves there. And then that sort of moves into... Bullcock and Kings Beach, and then Shelley Beach right at the end, and then round the point you've got Moffat Beach, which is an awesome little spot. Um, Moffat has is the only north-facing beach on the Sunshine Coast as well, um, and there's oh. a great um, great right-hander. Um, so it's it's not a patrol beach, but it's um, yeah great surf there. And um, our original um, little brew pub 
has a great view out over that beach. So. And all that's sort of relevant. I think um, we talk geography a bit more than normal because so much, I reckon, of what we're going to be talking about in terms of the ethos of the brewery and the, the vibe of what you're going to is going to be related to that geography, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so if we were walking in the front door of the brewery itself, tell us what we'd see, tell us, you know, give us a little picture as to why people should come and visit before we get underway on the first beer. Yeah. So we've got two. So we've got the, the original brew pub on the beach. So if, if you walk in there, um, yeah, it's it's primarily a hospitality venue now. Uh, we still brew on the kit. So, yeah, you walk in off the beach, a lot of people walk in with their thongs and towel over the shoulder and whatnot. Um, we've got eight taps there pouring, um, pouring all of our own beers. Um, the beers there is generally our core cool range stuff with a, few, um, with a few specialties in there. We've got an alcoholic ginger beer on there as well. Um, and, the, and the food there is, um, you know, we, we run by the ethos that, you know, we make everything from scratch and um, we try and get the, the, the food up to the standard of what the beer is as well. Um, but it, it's a casual place. And then we've got our production facility, which is on Caloundra Road, which is the way into the township of Caloundra. Um, we have a, it, it's a much bigger venue, but it's primarily a production facility, but you can go in there and have a beer. We've got quite a big tap room there with, um, there's more beer on offer there. So we've got 20 beer, 20, 20 taps all pouring our own beer as well. So the, the list is a little bit more extensive at the big, the big brewery. And how long ago was the brewery formed and how long ago did you get that second facility? Originally, we opened up the, the venue at Moffat Beach. It, it was a, a beer cafe to start with. So it, we weren't brewing. I was brewing at home. Um, did the classic home, home brew to pro brew thing. Um, and I was brewing just to educate myself on, on what we were selling. So um, we, we, when we opened the place, we made a conscious decision not to sell any mainstream beers, um, which was 2012. We just thought, you know, if someone wants a Forex, they can go to the surf club, you know, over the hill and, and get that. So we, we wanted a point of difference. And whilst it was a hard slog at first, it, um, it's really paid off. Um, we started out with probably what was a, fairly what would these days people would probably regard as a pedestrian tap list i think um we had four pines kolsch four pines pale ale stone and wood pacific ale murray's whale ale we had holgate mount macedon pale ale and there was one more moobrew pilsner um which back then um was pretty radical for the locals um but now probably wouldn't be um, yeah, and then I'd started brewing at home. Um, we had, there's a bit of a dead spot up the back of that brewery where no one ever sat because people want to look at the ocean. Um, and my wife just said, look, the beers at home are tasting pretty good. Maybe we'd look at putting a little brew kit in there. And um, yeah, we just begged, borrowed and stole, um, got the money together and we, we put a little 300 litre system in there. and. Um, yeah, that's that's how we started. Um, but yeah, that little kid, it wasn't all. Um, we we didn't hit the ground running with that. It took me a long, long time to dial the the beers in from the home system to that pro system. Um, it was probably about six months. Um, but then, 
And one of the one of the things that I did to educate myself was I was entering beers into beer competitions because the feedback that we got from those was was unfiltered because they're they're blind tasted. Um, it wasn't my mates going, "Oh, this is awesome, mate!" And then particularly after ten beers, yeah. yeah and, and then walking down the road and going, "Geez, I don't know how this is going to go." They're pretty shit. <laughs> um, and that that was, you know. We've obviously done pretty well out of the the, the awards um, program, um, but for us, entering the beers in those was a way for us to get some feedback on the beers. So, and that feedback has been invaluable to us. Um, so yeah, the brewery went in there in 2015, um, and then in 2018, we picked up um, Champion Session beer for our Social Jam Mid Strength Parallel at um, the Indies. And we picked up, I think, Champion Small Brewery there. Um, and then we just couldn't keep up. And every single drop that we were making was sold over the bar. And we were getting inquiries for people to buy kegs and stuff. And um, at one stage, I think at Christmas time, we only had two of our own beers on tap, which was a stout and an IPA. And people get shits because they want to come in and try our beer. And it wasn't on there. So... We thought, right, we've got some runs on the board now that, that it's, it's popular, at least in our own backyard. Maybe we look at um, starting a, a production facility. So, um, yeah, at the end of 2018, we flew to China. There's a big um, brewing and beverage expo that's held there biannually um, called CBB. And we just thought we got all the, um, all the brewery manufacturers in the one spot at the one time there. Um, and we could see what was good equipment, what wasn't, um, and that was a that was a great trip. And then, um, yeah, we um, we came back, and then we, we found a site, um, and we we went from there. And then, of course, the dreaded COVID hit in um, in twenty twenty when the gear was on its way. But yeah, you yeah. didn't time that bit so well, but. Still, a meteoric rise through those early years. When you look back on it, did it feel like you're uh, moving at a sprinting pace at that stage, or did it all just sort of come naturally? Oh, I, I don't know. Um, we just that in that business, we just lived and breathed it. Um, but for a while there, I, I was still doing a barista shift every Sunday as well, just to keep the wage cost down and. Um, and we, you know, we lived at Moffat Beach. I drank there. It, it probably became not work-life balance. It was more like work-life blend. It was sort yeah, of... Or, or work-work. Yeah. Work yeah. Well, don't worry. We, we enjoy it. There's, um, you know, there's got to be some perks to this gig. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we... But, yeah, to answer that question, I, I, I'm not sure. Like, I was just so into it that... Um, you know, every day I was, especially on that little kit, like I was, we didn't have a cool range. I was brewing new stuff every week. One, to keep myself interested. Um, two, to keep the, the punters interested, but also for my own, learning my own craft. Um, and having that little kit and um, and with it being so nimble was a real blessing, you know, starting off small and then, yeah, then we've gone, we've gone a little bit bigger now. 
I'm looking forward to sort of coming back to your sort of learnings and all of the sort of discussion about how the brewery's gone and grown. But I've almost finished in true Warren Wu style. My co-host isn't on tonight, but I've almost finished the deadbeat boyfriend. We haven't even begun to talk about it yet. So we should we should really get on to that. Can you can you give us a bit of the background of this beer that we've got in the glass in front of us at the moment? Yeah, so this beer, um, we don't have a lager in our cool range, so this is our sort of fake lager, I suppose. Um, it's an American-style cream ale. Um, the, um, I'm not sure whether this is true or not, um, but the word on the street is that they were brewed by the um, American immigrants in pre-Prohibition America to emulate the lagers of their homeland. Um, and they used what ingredients they had on hand, corn, oats, um, two-row pilsner. Um, we started brewing this because we, we, did, because we had such a small tank space in that, um, in that brewery. We, um, we didn't want to have a tank tied up, you know, with lagering and whatnot. So we just brewed a, an ale that we ferment really cleanly and we can knock it out in, you know, two to three weeks instead of six. Um, that's where this beer came from. Uh, we call it the Deadbeat Boyfriend because we've got daughters and a brewery. <laughs> matter of time before one of them comes through the door, even though they're still pretty little. Um, but yeah, you don't own a brewery. Is that the question? Yeah, that yeah sounds like a bloody Wilson song. But um, yeah, look, oh, really? Beer, it was just a random comment. I'm sure I've never heard of this Kevin Bloody Wilson. Let me just speak. Um, but this beer, it's. Um, it's our biggest selling beer in keg, um, but not in can. So in our venues, we sell a lot of it. I don't drink a lot of it. Um, it's not my favourite beer in our, um, in our portfolio, but it's cheap to make and it keeps the lights on. Um, and, and it's pretty tasty, you know. We, um, it doesn't have a lot going on in terms of, you know, hops and things like that. I'm a massive hop lover um and that's probably why i don't drink a lot of it but um yeah this one was also an original homebrew beer I, I brewed this one at home um before we started the brewery um so it's um yeah that's that's the deadbeat boyfriend it's a it's a ribbing beer to be starting off with tonight so it sort of sets the the scene nicely uh, I guess the obvious question is, you know, we don't see many cream ales going around, particularly ones that go by that name. Yep. Uh, and you've chosen not to put cream ale on the front. So um, originally, originally we did, um, not on the cans, but on the, um, the artwork in the venue. And it just became really confusing for the consumer because th there is not, it's a weird name for it, I think. Um, I don't know who came up with that name as a style because there's no cream in it. Um, there's no, and, and people just automatically thought that there was milk products in the beer. Um, so we just call it an easy drinker because that's what it is. It's an easy drinking, sessionable beer to, you know, hot summer's day or when you finish work, you know, punch a couple of them without thinking about it too much. Um, so yeah, we just thought, the name, even though it is a cream ale, and um, if we enter it into a competition, we enter it as an American-style cream ale. We just thought that was confusing for the for the not just the average consumer, but 
most consumers. So um, no, you did right. When I used to have the pub, we used to have the Tallboy Moose Cream Ale on it, and that was actually one of the first cream ales that I ever had, sort of sold by that name. That was going to be their core range beer and so forth, and they just found it the name. And I remember just selling the beer over. You'd spend half your time as a publican explaining to people, yeah. "No, you will like this beer. Don't worry." Kind of stuff. And, and we were too. And sometimes I got a kick out of it when I was working behind the bar and going, "No, you know." Because people come in, my, my first question to someone is, like, they'll come in and they'll go, what's your best beer? Which is subjective. My <laughs> answer to that is, you know, what, what beer do you like to drink? And if they come back and say, you know, a, a Heineken or a Bex or a, or a Great Northern, well, this is the closest thing that we've got for them. And if they see the word cream ale on there, they go, oh, I don't know about that. And you'd go, trust me, give it a go. We'll just give it a little taste. And I did get a kick when they go, oh, yeah, that's awesome. But it did get a bit old explaining it, you know, 20 times a day as well. Yeah. Now, there's nothing better than being, I'm sure it's the same thing being a brewer, but being a, a publican or a restaurateur and people come in and point to something on the menu and go, is this, is this good? Yeah. And so you go, no, nah, mate, it's shit. That's why I keep it on the menu. It's, there's nothing makes me happier than to serve food that I think is really shit to people. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I've got to ask about the the little bit of on the on the front of the can art there. Is that? Yeah, look, there's um, Moffat Beach being a little surfy area. There's um, plenty of young bikes getting around on their um, skateboards and surfboards, and you know they're probably smoking a bit of the funny stuff too, getting around in their beat up old cars. So it's just a bit of a homage to the to the young um, the young youth getting around, boys and girls getting around the area. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of them don't drink the beer, a lot of the beers that we, um, that we produce, but if they're going to drink one, this, this is the one. So um, we've actually got this beer on tap at um, the local surf club at, at Kings Beach. Um, and we had to change the, the artwork for them because um, one of the old codgers in there um, said that we can't have a picture of somebody drowning. So we had, <laughs> we had to take the ocean away for the um, the surf club artwork, which was a bit weird, but we just ran with it. I didn't think he was drowning. I thought he was waving. But, you know. no, but anyway, they, the old um, surf club, or, you know, you're in the surf, you put your hand up when you're uh, in trouble, even though he's doing the shucker things. But anyway, we just smiled and waved and changed it for him. <laughs> Good, good. Sometimes the customer's always right, even when they're wrong. That's it. That's it. Um, well, I feel like that's given us a good vibe for the area and the sort of the, the general sort of feel. I reckon it might be time to kick over the trilogy and start to talk about a beer that sounds like it might be a little bit more the kind of one that you'd be pulling out of the uh, the esky yourself, not just as we speak, but you I know, might change my glass. Do do that. Oh, that's an excellent thing. Good to see. Uh, our friend Crofty joining us uh, online amongst a whole lot of other friends. Great to be have everyone sort of back in the Zoom room here at the end of 2022. Crofty's at fixation at the moment, so we had a little bizarre um, accidental pub crawl yesterday as we went from Carwin Cellars to fixation. I ended up at her bar in the city, so, so but we all ended up catching the 86 tram together, so shout out to... Crofty and Hades and Jenner and various people who all ended up on the same tram, genuinely, quite accidentally. So, 
Um, Matt, you look like you've got that beer ready to go. Why don't you take us on a little tasting tour of it? Tell us how it should be looking in the glass. Tell us what we should be getting on the nose. Tell us what we should be tasting. And let's talk about this um, this beautiful Best Coast beer. Yep, so um, Trilogy, Best Coast, IPA. Uh, it's a classic West Coast IPA, but we're on the East Coast, so I just thought, why call it a West Coast IPA when we're on the other side of the country. I know it's an American-style beer. Um, so we just call it the best coast because best rhymes with west and I think the Sunshine Coast is the best coast. Um, so, yeah, this beer, um, we, we, we throw a lot of hops at this thing. Um, Trilogy, three hops, uh, Galaxy, Strata and Mosaic. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we hop it... Um, for about five days on the dry hop, and we just throw a shit tin in, in, in the whirlpool as well. Um, there's just a touch of crystal mold as well, just to give it a, a little bit of body. Um, but yeah, look, it, it, this thing should be bouncing out of the glass with the, with the aroma. Um, we, it's, it's very dank. Um, it's, a, it's definitely not a hazy. I'm, I, I can appreciate that the haze. Um, the haze craze, but um, you know, my, my love is with the the West Coast and and the traditional sort of American pale ales. Um, yes, one of the things that I was probably really trying to get with this beer was big sort of dank resiny aroma, um, not unlike probably putting your nose in a bowl of weed, I suppose, <laughs> if that's what you're into. But yeah, six point eight percent, so it's a big beer. You know, you're having one. And, um, yeah, look, this is um, a beer that we're very proud of. It's um, one of our most awarded beers. It's picked up a couple of trophies. Um, and, yeah, look, it's, I'm just really proud of it and um, I, I, I love drinking it. Um, my wife doesn't like it when I have too many of them, but um, I never do. <laughs> There's a real trend here amongst uh, those West Coast-style beers. We have... They're not the wife's favourites, but we'll, we'll, let's not ponder that too much. Not, although my wife loves drinking them. She just doesn't like me drinking too many of them. <laughs> um, I want to come back to the awards uh, in a moment, but you, with those three hops that are in there, can you sort of break down for those of us that love a good hop nerd conversation, what each of those hops is doing and, you know, how they're all being at the party together? What are, what's yeah. each of on, on the hop side, uh, on the hot side, sorry, we we use Galaxy and Mosaic. Um, there, that's a hot combination that I've been using for quite some time. I think those two hops go really well together. Um, you know, you've got you, everyone knows Galaxy from from Stone and Wood um, Pacific Ales. You know, you know, it gives that sort of passion fruity thing. Um, but then, you know, just mix, blending that with the, the mosaic. Mosaic is just such an iconic American hop that um, I, I really actually struggle to, to put my finger on a descriptor for it. But it's, um, you know, it's really got that sort of dankness and fruitiness. But, um, you know, it, 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 those two just balance. And then on the cold side, we are... Substrata. So I first came across Strata um, when we did a trip to the US in 2019. Um, 
and I had a few single hot beers over there with it and I just really, really sort of loved it. So I came back from that trip with this beer in my head. Um, we, we had another IPA that was sort of our core range in the, um, we, we hadn't opened the big brew by the stage. We had another beer, the girl IPA, which was sort of our IPA that was on. And yeah, I banged out this on the, on the little one. And, and then I just went, yeah, no, that's our, this is our new IPA. So um, yeah, those three hops, they just work really, really well together. Um, one doesn't really overtake the other. I just think that they just integrate really well. There's a big jamminess to it, um, but you've also got the, the fruitiness to it. Um, just got to visit them then for a second. Um, That's all right. They're all welcome. Don't worry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, balance is probably the key. There is an aggressive and assertive bitterness, but we also, you know, we, we want the that aroma to, to really bounce out of the glass as well. And are these hops that you use a lot of or sort of, you know, these um, go-tos? Strata, not so much. This is pretty much the only beer that we that we use it in because um, it is fairly, fairly new. It's only been out the last sort of, you know, um, four or five years, I think, in Australia. Um, Galaxy and Mosaic, we, we use quite a lot of. Um, our um, Summer Isle, which is another one of our um, very, very big selling beers. Um, that's Galaxy and Mosaic. Um, but, um, you know, we don't just use Galaxy and Mosaic. We use lots of different hops, um, you know, across the, across the spectrum, New Zealand stuff, Australian stuff, um, you know, obviously a lot of American stuff. Well, that's what I was about to ask is, you know, how much of it is local and, you know... How much do you, do you get in from overseas, particularly for these more, you know, West Coast hops? Well, we're, we're contracted for a lot of our hops. Um, so most of that is through YCH um, and, and HBO. So we do use a lot of um, stuff, Australian stuff, mainly um, Galaxy, but we've just recently um, started using Eclipse. We had, um, we, we did a collaboration beer with HBO, um, I think it was last year the first time we did it might have been late the year before but um yeah we did a we did a beer with them which was our shadow of the moon eclipse pale ale which um we were just super super happy with that beer um and, and that hop so we're starting to use a bit of eclipse um but we've got a bit of enigma in the fridge as well which we use in some some stuff um and then we use ella um we use that in all of our sort of um but we've we've got a lager on tap, so we use that in that. Um, the deadbeat boyfriend, that's Ella. So we use Ella. So I should have asked actually at the time what hops we were having in that. Yeah, so that's we use Ella um, for you know that's our sort of traditional German style hop, even though it's an Australian hop. Um, yeah, so we I try and use Australian ingredients as much as I can with without doing so, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, about a base grain is, is Barrett Burston border ale malt, which is sort of grown here on the border. But I do use specialty malts from New Zealand. I will I will use um, hops from overseas and stuff like that. So um, I try and use local as, as much as I can. But if there's something good out there from overseas, I'm, I'm going to use it. 
it's an awesome answer. I would totally understand that sort of ethos of, you know, you want the best ingredients to be going in if you want to be producing the kind of views out the other end. Is that part of how that works? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sort of fascinating here, you know, was this always your life goal to end up sort of, you know, not just sort of, you know, being an owner of a venue, but being and, a brewer? What, you know, at uni, or did you go to uni? What's it? Tell, no, I didn't go to uni. Definitely, definitely not. Um, I've always loved beer, um, you know, from the first one that I, I went to boarding school in Sydney. Um, and then I remember my dad, and I grew up in the country, my dad took me out um, from school and took me to this little joint at Darling Harbour called the Pump House, and he fed me a couple of these things called Thunderbolt Ales. Mags is very happy with that answer, I can yeah. see already. That and um, that was probably, I was about 15, and he's pretty naughty of him, but he sent me back to school half-pissed, and from then, you know, I just had a bit of a love, love of beer. Um, but no, I left school... Um, and with the intentions of going back to the country and working for dad. But um, he said, mate, go and live a bit. So I I had a year playing footy in Sydney. Um, but I think my ambition probably exceeded my ability. Um, when you say footy, given that we're a Victorian sort of based um, podcast. Rugby, uh, rugby union. So I wasn't even playing rugby league. I was playing rugby union um, just for a local club there. Um, just played under 19s Colts for for a side there. Um, worked out that I wasn't really that great at it. Um, so then I joined the army, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, and that was probably where I, well, well, probably that's where I spent most of my 20s. Um, and I was an infantry soldier. Um, and then I specialised into, um, uh, I was in recon sniper platoon in my battalion. Um, did a couple of trips overseas um, and, yeah, loved every minute of it. It was a, it was a great job, met some great mates um, who were, you know, like brothers to me. I got out in 2006 um, and then um, somehow I jagged my job into – I jagged a job in a stockbroking firm. Um, I think – And that's – you know, that's uh, a so when I was playing footy in Sydney, the um, the club I was playing for got me a job as the male boy in a stockbroking firm. Um, and then when I got out of the army, because I got out with no qualifications or like I was a grunt, so I had nothing behind me. And my mum said, "You enjoyed that job in the stock market. Maybe you um, maybe give that a go." I'm like, "Mum, I was delivering envelopes around the city." <laughs> um, so I'd send my resume off to. Um, you know, every firm in, in Sydney. And um, I, this one guy must have just thought it was pretty cool because it had Recon Sniper platoon on there. And I, I was, he gave me a gig as his assistant. So I um, ended up working for him for about five or six years. His name was Andrew Manchi. Um, Shout out to Andrew. Yeah. So, and then that's, um, that's where I met my wife. Um, she was an options trader. Um, and then, um, yeah, I got made redundant from that role. Um, we gotten married and, and had a couple of kids by this stage. Um, it was 2012 and um, Shaz just said, let's, let's get out of here. Let's, let's do something different. And she found this little cafe on the beach at Moffat Beach that was for sale. She said, let's go and run a cafe. And I said, you 
Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> Since like, the bloke who used to be, you know, a, yeah. in this lover who moved over being stockbroker, are you crazy about the cafe? Yeah. I wasn't a stockbroker. I was Andrew's well, yeah. Um Anyway, we um, that, that's how, yeah, that's my career pretty much from start to finish from when I left school to, to sort of now. Yeah, and we started the... We started a little cafe and we specialised in beer from the get-go and I was brewing beer and, and then it's just that side of the business has grown from there. Without being sort of flippant about it, are there things that you think you learned from all of that life experience that inform you as a businessman as much as a brewer? You know, they're sort of... Um, oh, absolutely. Like, my, my military background definitely ha- has given me a lot of resilience um the work ethic as well um yeah so um just hang on a sec um yeah so interruptions without any great hassle that's important yeah yeah yeah. Um, so um yeah definitely that's that's helped me the um working on the stock market um you know just working under pressure and stuff like that but in saying that, I reckon um, doing a boxing day on the coffee machine was probably the most stressful I've ever been out of any of those jobs. So, um, yeah. I, I think that's, you know, that's an amazing answer in the context of what you must have experienced for the rest of your life. But I get it. There's nothing like that bit where there's just a queue of people coming in. Uh, and I've retired from making coffee. I hate it. So, it I, love. I love making beer. Yeah, no, that famously the first thing I did when I bought a beer bar was take the coffee machine out and put it in the shed at home and we just never made coffee again. You know, I, I love coffee. I drink a lot of it. But it was like, you know, I didn't want to be the place that made the bad coffee in the street. It's like, no. don't have a coffee down here if you want coffee. Come to me if you want beer. Yeah, look, we still, um, we still got a coffee machine down at the beach. Um, we still sell a lot of it. We're, we're open for breakfast, lunch and dinner down there. Um, I just don't make it anymore. <laughs> I I truly understand it. In terms of resilience and stuff, you touched on the fact there that you were, um, you know, you made some big moves and some some big purchases, and then COVID came along. Yep. You know how was COVID as an experience? I know it sort of lingers on through the industry, but it's probably, to be honest with you, look, it was really daunting at the start because of the uncertainty. Um, but now looking back, it's probably the last year was worse than that. Um, mainly because of the staffing situation. Like we've really struggled. We've, we've been okay with front of house staff and we've been okay with um, brewers and stuff like that. Well, there's only three of us anyway, but, um, and I can, you know, I, I, I do the brewing as well, but um just chefs, we we just have really struggled with them. Um, I don't know where they've all gone, um, but yeah, that's that's been an issue. But yeah, to to go back to the study question, um, yeah, look, we 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 had the kit ninety percent built in China when they got hit with COVID, and then they just got shut down. Cool. Um, and we're waiting for this gear to arrive, and we've got a big shed that's empty, and we're. Mm. Lord, that's wanting rent um, and we've got nothing to put in there. So that was really scary at that point. And, and luckily here at the production facility, we've got a really good landlord um, and they, they 
they froze the rent for for six months for us, um, which was just awesome. Can't thank them enough. Then when it when the gear got here, um, we we'd been shut down by that stage. So the um, the Chinese technicians were going to install and commission the brewery for us, and um, obviously they weren't allowed in the country. So I had to do it, um, which was daunting as well. Um, but it was probably a blessing in disguise. So we we were shut down at the beach. I wasn't brewing there at all. So I, I wasn't having to pump out beers there to keep the taps going and put this together at the same time. I was able to just solely focus on on putting this, getting this kit in and getting it put together and commissioning it. I was lucky that um, one of our one of our good customers, um, Rodney, he um, he was a he's an electrician um, and he just sold his business and he was just hanging around like a bar fire and I just said mate I'll pay you but do you want to come and help me put this thing together and he said yeah absolutely so um, without him I'd probably still be putting it together um, <laughs> all the electrical work and, and and but we just we just knuckled down and we and we got it done um, it was like you know I've said this a few times it was like here Olympics just because there was everything was numbered They're like you know a2 went next to a2 and um i suppose brewing's my trade now like i i, I know that you know that's a match time that's a lot of time like i know the flow of everything and where it was supposed to go um so we yeah we hooked in and we got it done we hit a couple of snags and there was you know there was a bit of swearing that went on but it was really satisfying as well um and then we we got it in and like I said before, it took me a long time to to dial in that first system from my homebrew kit to that. This was the opposite. Like from day one, we we scaled it up and the beers were identical, if not a bit better from, from the get-go, which is something that I was really, really happy with. Um, we, we didn't have to put too much down the drain at all. Like we had one beer, I think, that we put down the drain that wasn't right everything else was in spec and, and was tasting great. So we had um, we had beer to sell straight away when it was time to, to start selling beer. So um, you, you must have a knowledge of that kit in terms of, you know, if anything not just goes wrong, but if you want to tweak things a little bit, you must have a knowledge that the, the average brewer who buys one and, you know. It... Yeah, look, I, I think most brewers are probably quite um, handy like that because it's you're dealing with, I suppose, like an amateur plumber, I suppose. You just know where things flow. But, yes, it has been sort of quite handy. We have had a few things go go wrong with the equipment. Um, it, like, it's great equipment. It's just, you know, things happen on brew days. And, and I've been able to um, work it out really, really quickly. So, yeah, look, it was a, definitely a blessing in disguise. And Mark in the chat, and thank you, Mark, for your support over the year and having some excellent beers out at the Seaford RSL together uh, during the week. So, and David Craig, with whom I had some great beers at the Kensington Flemington RSL last week. It feels like RSL old boys uh, this week. But um, Mark asked a great question in the chat um, about who or what official actually has to provide the tick-off for the commissioning? Is there one? I've never asked this question before. It's a great one. Um, no, we had to get the, the local council had to come through, um, which was the health department of the council. Um, 
he was a home brewer as well. So it was pretty casual. Um, it was more him just asking me questions about my processes and um, I think for his own knowledge more than anything. Um, yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. We did have a few hoops to jump through in terms of planning and things like that. So um, this site here, we, um, we had to make sure that the zoning was right and everything like that. We had to engage the services of a town planner. Um, we do love a local government discussion and planning discussion. Oh, you know. I won't get into it, but it was an extremely uninspiring experience. Um, but once we, um, once we got through all of that, um, they've been pretty good to deal with, um, especially now that they've realised that there's 20, there's 20 of us here on the coast and they're going, oh, maybe this is a tourist thing as well. So, um, yeah, to start with, they were painful. Now they're pretty good. So, um, And I presume your Sparky mate had to sign off on, the, on some of that stuff or not even? Not really, no, but he made sure it was all pretty good. Well, not pretty good. He made sure it was exactly <laughs> how it needs to be. Yeah, just in case, you know, for some reason someone's listening, it's the, the wiring is fantastic, don't worry. It's Mickey Mouse. Um, but even, I, I think each separate trade writes a certificate for, for their thing. So, we, like, we've got, it's a steam system. So we, we had um, the boiler guys come in and do their stuff and, you know, they were extremely pedantic about how things had to be and and rightly so because if a steam pipe breaks you know take your face off um yeah that's exactly right it's a it's a proper yeah and and the same with like the gas fitter who hooked up the gas to the steam boiler like you know the, the sparky accidentally did put a power point too close to the gas bottles outside and he made him change it before he'd sign off on it so there was no one other than the council guy that the, and he he was a health inspector that came through and ticked it off, but each one of those tradesmen are putting their name to their work, so they they made sure it was all Mickey Mouse before they did before they signed off on it. Uh, really great questions, but funny we've never asked that before. One hundred and yeah, that, that episodes in, it's um it's interesting to sort of hear how that process works. Um, I reckon we might be about ready to move on. Let's move on to the Josh Porter. And, um, you know, we've obviously been talking a little bit of RSL talk there and for people who are overseas, that's the uh, that's the, the league that looks after returned servicemen here in Australia. And um, tell us a little bit about the story, about the background of the beer here. We've got Josh, uh, Josh Porter's face on the front and tell us yep. the story. Josh and I... Um... We're in the same unit together. So we're in um, 1st Battalion, which is 1RAR. So, and we did our recon, cor- recon course together. Uh, I did two um, trips to Timor with Josh. Josh, um, And we were great, great mates. He was an outstanding soldier. Um, in 2006, I got out. Um, that's the year that he died. Um, the year before... He had, um, so 2000, end of 2004, he did SAS selection and he was successful in that. Um, and he was posted over to Perth with the Special Air Service Regiment. Um, he did a trip to Afghanistan after that. Um, and then I'm not sure if many of you remember, there was a coup in Fiji in 2006. Um, Josh's um, 
patrol was sent on a Navy ship called the Manura there just to get any Australian dignitaries out if things went pear-shaped there. And they just sat off the, the, the coast of Fiji um, on, on the boat um, and they went up in a Black Hawk just to do a little bit of a, a fly around, have a look. Um, and then when they um, came in to land on the, on the boat, um, there was just a, a little bit of pilot error in the, um, in the conditions. Um, so Bingers, who was a pilot who, um, I, I, I didn't know him that well, but um, I, I knew him. Um, he just came in a little bit, um, a little bit too hard. Um, and then the boat bounced off the, um, sorry, the, the chopper bounced off the, the side of the boat. Um, everyone got out except for Josh, unfortunately. Um, and he went down with the, uh, with the Black Hawk to the bottom of the ocean um, and unfortunately um, didn't survive. Um, by reports, he was killed instantly, but it was, um, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty ordinary time. Um, his wife was pregnant at the time of the first child too, which uh, is, you know, never, is never great when anyone dies, but that really sort of, sort of turned it up a little bit. So um, I was, um, as I said, I was really good mates with Josh um, and I wanted to do this, this beer with him, um, do this beer for him. Uh, I got permission from his family to use his image and, and, and make the beer. Um, and we do donate um, a dollar from every can from this beer to the SAS Resources Fund, which um, goes towards paying school fees for, for kids who are left behind um, and, and yeah, things like that. So, yeah, that, that's this beer. Um, Is there something all, about the recipe and stuff? Like why, why this beer in memory? Yeah, um, look, because Josh was a, a robust character. He also... Um, he, he had sort of a, a darker skin, which is why the beer is a darker pale ale. Um, I probably could have called it an amber ale, but it, it doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Um, we've, it's 5.8%. So, um, yeah, it's a robust beer for a robust man. Um, it's got plenty of bitterness to it. There's heaps of hops. There's heaps of malt. Um, we've entered this beer in the awards a few times, but we get... Um, marked down one because of the colour or and, and things like that. Um, but we we never in, we never you know made this beer for it to go into awards. It was made to sort of on Josh's memory. Um, the other thing is you know with everyone knows about the boys that um, lost their lives in, in Afghanistan um, and, and I've lost a few mates there as well. But for me, Josh is sort of one of those forgotten ones from that period. So. That's one of the other reasons why we did this um, did this beer for it, and we um, we release it every year um, in November, which is which was when he was killed. So, and um, do you have it on tap? And tell me, you know, how the people sort of respond when they come and have it? You know, do the bar staff know the story? Yeah, everyone, everyone knows the story. Um, it's got a bit of a cult following in the in the local community as well. Um, you know, people do love the beer for what it is, for the taste of it, but also the story behind it as well. So yeah, we've got it on tap. Um, we've got it. Um, we've got it in cans. Um, whenever we release it, I get inundated by veterans. Some that I served with, some that I didn't. Going, you know, can we get can we get our hands on it? Can we get our hands on it? And 
I love to give them all a, a free one, but you just can't. <laughs> so, um, I say, yeah, jump online and order it. Um, so, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a beer that's pretty special to us. Um, he was a great bloke, and um, it's 15 years ago, or probably longer now, 16 years ago. So, and you know, it just time marches on. Well, good that not only that you're uh, you make it remembering him, but that you're using some of the proceeds from it to support that SAS, you know, that support fund. That's that's fantastic as well, and adds that bit more meaning to it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you touched there on on the awards and the tagline for the brewery, I think, is Australia's most awarded brewery. Um, I'm not sure whether that's... Um, the, the tagline for the brewery is is a taste of the good life, but um, Craig, our general manager, who... Um, oh, it might have been his emails that I was seeing that tagline. It that probably bit. is, yeah, yeah. Craig, our general manager, who was formerly the um, event director for, for Gabs Festival, Loves a little, um, loves a little tagline. So that that would be um, that would be his work, I would reckon. Um, it's he's also it. on Rob's. It's also on Rob, who is the sales manager who did all okay. the set this up. Thank you, Rob. Craig's uh, Craig's running with it then. Um, yeah, he did a little bit of back of the envelope um, calculations, and uh, he he reckons that we could we can um, honestly lay claim to that um, to that to that wording at the moment. So. Well, we'll talk. Well, let's let's pick that apart in a second. Although, as I think I've famously said a few times on this podcast, back when I used to work in government, we used to claim as soon as Melbourne had the biggest or the largest anything in Australia, we just went with some Southern Hemisphere. So I'd be going with the Southern Hemisphere's most awarded brewery if I were you, and then let someone from Argentina or you know Cape Town come and have a blue about it. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, so talk to you. You, you know, all jokes aside already collected an enormous number of, of awards for yep. a really wide range of beers. You spoke a bit earlier on about, you know, how important it was for you to be entering those competitions and learning, but that recognition, has that made a, a difference to sort of who comes in the door and how you're received? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, after we got, like, the first major trophy, we really noticed an uptick in people coming through the door. Um even beer tourists, people who were coming on a holiday to the area um, who were craft beer lovers and they would, you know, they come in the door. Um, but I'm the first one to put my hand up and say that I'm really shit at marketing. So that was, a, that was one way that was really good for that without having to, um, to, to do much marketing. Um, and... Look, you'd be lying. I would be lying if I said it's not. It's it's pretty good for the ego as well. Like it's oh. it's nice to win these things, and it's good fun, and it's a, it's a good buzz, and it's it is awesome when we take uh, like we we take staff to these things all the time. We we you know it's a reward for for our staff to go to them, and when we when we do pick them up, it's it everyone has a you know such a great time. Um, it was really, um, it was really good. Like the last Indies as well was out at um, because it was done virtually. So um, on the Sunshine Coast, out at Bruhaha Brewery, that was the that was the hub for all the Sunshine Coast breweries, and, and it was such a great night out there. We picked up a couple of gongs, and, and so did Bruhaha. So, like, it wasn't just us. Like, it was a really, really good night. Um, so, 
Yeah, we, we don't. Initially, when we first entered them, it was to get the feedback. Um, but now also, I, like, we've now got our own canning line as well. So but we'll, our core range, we always enter our core range and we always enter packaged and draft just to see if there's any slippage in any of our processes anywhere. Um, you know, sometimes, and it's really weird, like one year our draft will do really well and then the other year our, our package will do really well. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, don't know why, but, um, yeah, it's good to just get that feedback just to see how we getting any oxidation in our in our package beers and, and vice versa and things like that. So um it's always useful as well. We had Cavalier on the show the other day out at the Williamstown Beer and Cider Festival and they were just sort of saying they turned around one day and sort of realized that the recipe they had, the hops had changed over time. Yeah. And it actually wasn't the beer anymore that they used to brew and they just sort of yeah, right. a bit like when you watch someone age or whatever. Yeah. You don't quite really realise that something's changed fundamentally, and that that's that does happen. Um, I tweak my recipes all the time as well. Um, so we actually went back the other I was a couple of months ago. We went back and, and like our passenger polar, which is a beer that we've had in our um, repertoire. Like that's another beer that is like an original homebrew beer, and that's in the tasting pack, I think, as well. Just so people who've got the tasting pack from our Shopify can be opening that one and having a taste of that as we go along. Um, yeah, that beer had, it wasn't radically different, like, but the grain bill had changed slightly and, and the hops, um, have as well, you know, from, it's now all galaxy on the hot side. And then we've added, um, Citra, um, Simcoe and galaxy on the, on the cold side. Um, whereas before I think there was. Citra and Simcoe and Mosaic and so yeah, it, it has um, definitely evolved and the beers do. I will make tweaks along the way to make sure that things just evolve a little bit. Are there any beers that used to be in the core range that you don't have anymore? That just for style reasons or you know um, you can't get the ingredients anymore? Kind of no, because we we haven't had a. Um, production brewery really for that long to, to have changed it. Um, and it's a fairly big investment um, forking out for all those printed cans as well. So, um, yeah, we don't probably don't see us changing that anytime soon. Um, the one thing that we will change, um, our summer ale, we're going to change that from summer ale to probably summer session IPO because um, that's what it is. Uh, like in the according to the style guidelines, it's a session IPA, and but that'll be a, that'll be a naming ch- change rather than a recipe change. Correct. Yeah, now the beer will stay the same. Um, there was because um, that beer picked up champion IPA at the Indies this year, and I was just shocked more than anyone with that <laughs> um, because it's up against some pretty big, robust hot bombs and this is a delicate little four and a half percent hoppy number um and and there was a little bit of um and, and rightly so i think there was a little bit of um consternation and and pushback on some of the social media um groups and things saying you know it's that's, just, that's what social media is about isn't it consternation yeah, yeah. 
and, and I get it, um, but I think if the beer had have actually been called a session IPR, no one would have batted an eyelid instead of called a summer ale. So, um, and that beer is actually our most awarded beer across across all of them. Is that is that the award that you sort of value the most, or is there one award out of all the ones you've got where you sort of go, no, that was special, that's the one that... Yeah, uh, look, I think... The AIBAs this year were pretty special because we hadn't won them before. Um, and then to pick up three on the night was just amazing. Um, and the, the, I love the in, Indies and I love being an independent brewer. Um, but there's only a... Not everyone can go in those awards and, and, and they are really important. They're really important for the craft beer um, movement and they're really important for the independent movement um but yeah getting those trophies out of the aibas this year they were it was the one that was missing out of our um, cabinet um and everyone's in those you know from lion nathan to through to you know the the, the smallest broad down in tazic you know so um that was pretty special for us and um yeah, to um, and we and we picked up, I think, international parallel and, and IPI on the night, which were they're the ones we like to win if we're going to win them. So, yeah, that makes total sense. We're, we're going to get on to some audience questions in a moment, so type your questions into the chat and we can unmute you in a moment. Uh, but we have a traditional question here in the quarterly. You most people get a bit of a heads up about this beforehand, but you know, by way of context. We're called the cool room, not because we're cool, but because the cool room is the thing that breaks down. This is where we sort of peel the uh, peel the, the curtains back and go, yeah, it'll be fun to own a brewery or a pub or whatever else, but no, here's what the experience is really like. Is there a time, you know, where something's broken down or something's exploded or when you were putting that new kit together and, you know, the Ikea, the A2 didn't quite match up to the B4 or whatever else? Some of those things a bit behind the scenes where you sort of went, oh, you know, gee, it'd be good to be to be back being the assistant in the stockbroking office or something like that rather than out there on the line. Uh, I, I think more than anything, um, sometimes we miss we miss that safe wage, um, you know. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> like we pay ourselves, but um, that we pay ourselves a wage, but you know, we're looking at the bottom line every day um, and this year is probably harder than most because we're getting squeezed at one end by our suppliers like one of our suppliers is putting their um, putting stuff up by almost 40 percent but then we're also got our sales rep coming to us going you know ABC brewery out there selling similar beer for this so and then you know and we've got to try and make it work somehow and I make the beers that I want to make. I'm not going to compromise on the ingredients that we put in. So, um, you know, something's got to, something's got to give there as well. So that's probably the biggest um, sort of headache for us at the present time. Um, stuff breaking. Uh, look, we haven't had too many issues here. Um, breaking is better than exploding anyway. Like we've, we've had a few explosions and implosion stories over the years, I've got to say. Touch wood, I haven't had any tanks implode. Um, probably the worst one was our auger broke. Um, 
and to get a new one out of from overseas took three months with the shipping issues. So we were, um, yeah, we were, it would take us three of us, three hours to mill a batch, a grain for a batch of beer or for a double batch of beer because um, we were milling into a bag, into a bucket and then putting it into a bag and then zip tying it. So we did that for three months, which got old really quickly. See, that's, um, that's the kind of story we're talking about. That's yeah, that, the... was, that was rubbish. Um, and then when, the, um, when that auger turned up, it took one bloke 15 minutes to do that, that job. So, yeah, that was probably one of those times. The auger breaking was, um, wasn't fun. Um, but uh, it's probably the hospitality side of the business can be a real headache. Stuff getting broken, you know, in the kitchen or at the front. Schooner glasses going missing because they've got, you know, Moffat Beach written on the front of it. Um, just little things. But all in all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything. It's, it's good fun. We're living on the beach and making peace and having a good time. That's uh, exactly the right attitude to have, although I completely understand. I used to have a pub and I don't at the moment. And I hear so many stories from friends, particularly what you were saying before about getting chefs in and things like that. And there's nothing like that feeling at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon where the chef or a couple of them aren't coming in and just, well, I've got 60 people booked for dinner. That's not going to change. It's how do I feed them now is becomes the key question. And that that is probably where we've really get anxious. And, and um, yeah, that's... That is, we've had that happen. Like Shaz and I have gone down to the to the beachside brewery just to have a drink, and then the chefs said he's sick and gone home when you know dinner service hadn't started, and you know we ended up we ended up doing it. You know, we ended up making doing a limited menu and, and cooking hamburgers for the night. So, yep, we've all been. It's yeah, it's you don't you don't really own a venue until you know exactly how the fryer that doesn't turn on properly turns yeah. on. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, that's definitely not my skill set. Um, that's um, that Chaz, she, she can get in there and she can do a service, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm more of a hindrance than a help when, when I have to get in there. Uh, I've, I've always been a hindrance in every single thing I've <laughs> in any business I've been involved in. Um, we're going to start the throw to the audience for some questions. Jacob, uh, who, apart from anything else, lives very close to the cannoli stand at the Preston Market, So, uh, who, were, who gave me a very good deal today. So shout out to the cannoleria at the Preston Market this afternoon. Jacob's got a sleeping baby in his household tonight, so he can't ask the question himself. But we're so happy and excited, Jacob, that you're with us tonight and that you have a sleeping baby in the household. That's a fantastic thing. Uh, you've typed your question into the chat. I'll ask it on your behalf. Then we'll throw to Mark and anyone else who has an audience question. Type it in now. Um, so verbatim, Jacob's question is, your brewery is one of Australian Australia's great tourist regions, but the craft brewery is somehow uh, some less regional or safe than their beers in other tourist regions. What is it about the Sunshine Coast or Sunny Coast of the locals that lifts its quality of uh, craft beer offerings? I think it's a really good question. That, you know, there are so, plenty of other places. To, to rephrase a bit, there are plenty of places where there might be a regional brewery, but really what they're doing is 
it's as much a tourist offering as a quality beer offering. Yeah. So he's saying that we're not safe? Well, I'm saying saying that your region has some a number of really quality breweries. So they're not just tourist places to go, but why do you think you've got this cluster of, you know, really outstanding breweries? I think I'm interpreting that right, Jacob? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, look, why there's a cluster of breweries here, um, I can't put my finger on that other than it's um, an awesome spot to live. Um, and a lot of people move here and I think, and, and ourselves included, when we first moved here, okay, what are we going to do? Oh, let's open a cafe. Um, now people move in here and go, oh, let's open a brewery because everyone seems to be doing that. Um, why is the quality good here? Um, I, I think part of that is the fact that there are so many here and there's only a limited amount of customers on the coast. Um, and you've, you know, you, it's sink or swim, really. If you if you don't have a good offering, people aren't going to to give you their patronage. So, um, hey, that's probably what it is. There's over twenty here now. Um, is there is there any little ones there that are just starting up? You want to sort of you know give a bit of a shout out to you. Obviously mentioned you know Brewhaha on the line, but you know yeah, just well, a good relationship with Brewhaha, and we do with your mates as well. But they don't need us to give them a plug. They're going great guns, but um, they're buying bowling clubs, which is another yeah, thing close to my heart. Yeah. I think. Um, but there's a there's a little one up in the hinterland, um, Noosa Hinterland Brewing. Um, if you want their beer, you pretty much got to go up there into the hills and, and have it. It's in like an old timber shed, and they're pumping out some really cool beers and it's a it's a cool little spot um it's i can't remember the actual name of the town but it's near Karoi. It, it's it's a tiny little village um yeah so they're, they're doing some good things and it's a it's a cool little spot um they don't have a kitchen or anything in there you just go for you go for go for a beer um yeah so that that's that's pretty cool there um up in the up in Nambour, there's um, Mort's Brewing Co. as well. Um, so Jamie, who's got that, um, he he was one of the sort of home brewing legends here on the on the coast. And um, his wife is he's got a good wife as well. She talked him into um, doing it because she said, if you're not going to do it now, you're never going to do it. So he's got his little his little system in the bottom of, I think, what was the old bottle shop of a pub up there in Nambour. Um, and um, he's got his own, like it's it's basically homebrew system on steroids. He's built it himself, but it's big and he's pumping out some really, really good beers. Um, but there's new ones popping up all the time as well. And it's hard to sort of keep, keep abreast of, of, of what's going on. Um, yes. There's Sunshine Brewery, not Sunshine Coast Brewery, Sunshine Brewery um, in Kaluan. Um, so just to be clear, that's not Sunshine, the suburb of Melbourne, for those of us that are Victorian. Yeah, no. don't, don't head out to Sunshine and, you know. They're, they're doing some, they're awesome people that own that. Um, and and Davey, the, the brewer there, is, is doing some great stuff. And then, yeah, the original Sunshine Coast Brewery, which is... Um, I think been in business for 27 years this year. So, um, and they, they were the first one on the coast. Um, you know, got to give them a, a bit of a wrap for for being there for so long. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like all the more reason for our friends, both from Australia, but also Egypt, Sweden, Norway, 
hungry for her to come and visit that part of the world because it's a gorgeous and beautiful part of the world just to, to come and look at, apart from the fact it looks all that much better if you've got a beer in your hand. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Mark, we're going to get you to unmute and ask your question. We've still got a couple of spots there for audience questions if there are other people who want to get on board and ask a question. Last chance in 2022. So, Mark, off you go, brother. Jeez, guys, I just had a couple of Jack Russells go crazy just just on cue, so hopefully it doesn't interrupt. Um, yeah, Matthew, thank you so much, mate. I'm loving your beers. Thank you. And, and, and that's uh, the best coast. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you with that one. Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned earlier on, Doug, sorry, I'm just sidetracking a bit about bowls clubs and that. I've got a friend, Boodrum, is that correct? Budrum. Budrum. Budrum, yeah. I knew I was going to stuff that up. Anyway, <laughs> he, he, he lives up there. I've got to go and visit him over Christmas, but um, his local bowls club has just um, got partnership with um, Sunshine Breweries, um, Sunshine Coast Breweries. Yep. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. So, um, yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, um, you've, uh, you've done a very good Warren Wu impersonation. We don't have Wu with us tonight, but you know, <laughs> by getting on to ask a question and going off on a couple of little soliloquies there along the way. So, well, well played, brother. No worries. Okay. Yeah, look, um, you, you mentioned about um, you're your crap at marketing, and um, that's no insult on you or whatever. That you're, you're a great brewer, obviously, um, but. Who does do your marketing and, and your artwork and so forth? And and where do you want your brand to go from here? You know, like, do, do you want it in Dan Murphy's and, and things like that? Or But anyway, I'll let you finish my question. <laughs> yep. So, um, so Craig Williams, who um, he worked at uh, Stomping Ground down in uh, Melbourne and for Gab's Festival. So he moved up here um, a couple of years ago and he started with us um, pretty much straight away. So he's our general man. He started off doing all the marketing um, and then we've now moved him into general manager's role. Um, the artwork um, that's done through one of his connections. So a, a guy called Phil Townley in Melbourne does all of our graphic design work. Um, and yeah, we're, like, we've given him a brief of what we, we wanted. So, you know, with the cans, um, generally it's, um, you know, they're the glass house mountains behind us the the summer ale can is overlooking Moffat Beach as is the social jam um the passenger can looks at the big iconic tree out the front of our venue at Moffat um so yeah those guys are doing that um and but we give them you know a vision of of, of what we want um and then they come back with a few ideas and then we go from there um as for Dan Murphy's and things like that. We are in Dan Murphy's here on the coast. So we're um, from Sunshine Coast down to the Northern Gold Coast. So we're not in um, the national general distribution. Um, that was never our sort of end game to get into those things, but it is probably necessary to keep the doors open to sell our beer in as many places as we possibly can. Um, and to be honest with you, um, they've actually been a really, really good customer. They pay on time, unlike a lot of our independent um, bottle shops and um, venues, which I hate to say that. Um, and I've been one of them. We have been an independent venue that's been late paying. I think it's just comes with the territory when you're dealing with little guys. Um, you know, you've just got to stretch it out sometimes. Um, 
Or, yeah. or, or sometimes you just don't get around to opening zero on a given day, he said somewhat well, defensively, because he realised that he hadn't probably paid for his stock just yet. I, I promise I'll do that as the night wears on. No, no mate, I do. I have, I'm barred from the finances. I have nothing to do with any of it. Um, if I was in charge of the money, we would have gone broke a long time ago. Um, so, but look, they've been great. So, yes, we um, we, we do sell to the, the majors. And, and I think if you don't, you're mad if you don't. You've got, like, it is a business. It's great to be a purist and to be independent and whatnot. But if you're doing it and not staying alive, what's the point? So um, as for national distribution, um, Look, we, we've got some beers down in Melbourne. We, we sell them through bandwagon beverages. Yeah, we um, should give a shout-out to Joel, who, you know, excellent bloke, friend of the podcast, one of the very first brewers we had on, uh, you know, with his Venom hat on. He's um, an excellent bloke. I hope you're about to say something like that. I, well, I haven't met Joel yet. Um, but look, oh, well, then you, then you can easily say that he's a good bloke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so far, they've been really great to work with. Um, you know, they've, they've taken some beers off us and getting it out there down there in Melbourne. We've actually found it's easier to get beer down to Melbourne than what it is to some places in our own state. Um, we've had some beers go up to, to Townsville. Um, yeah, we would like to get beer out nationally at some stage, but you can't, you can't run before you crawl. So we'll, we'll just take it as it comes. Then that's probably a really good sort of little sequence over to sort of, you know, saying, you know, what are the plans for the future? Obviously, you know, we've just gone through, as you've described, 10 years of sort of massive change, massive expansion. But, you know, are there things that you're looking forward to doing this summer in the short term and then the next five years? Um, This summer, um, having a proper summer without COVID restrictions in the hospitality side of the business is going to be awesome um and you know it's just started to get really busy this week we've noticed the influx of tourists so yeah that that's our major plan for short term um yeah sort of hopefully in the next year maybe two years um so the shed that we're in here we we have um this year we took the rest of the shed um it's just been used for storage at the moment, so all of our empty cans and stuff are in there. Um, we would like to move the packaging next door there um, as soon as we can, and then that will allow us to put some more tanks um, in the production side of the brewery. So, um, yeah, in the short term, just moving the packaging next door, um, getting some more tanks in, increasing our capacity a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, as any brewer will tell you, this it's not a cheap exercise Um during this expansion thing, and it is a capital-intensive um, sort of operation, um, especially to this point in time. Sharon and I are sort of the only two shareholders in it as well, so um, we're yeah we're we're at that point now where you know do we do we look for investors or or do we just keep doing the slowly 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 thing and 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 keep building it on our own? So. Because you do dilute your shareholding, you know, if you get um, get other people on board. So, um, Is there a beer style out there or a beer itself that you're sort of hanging out to make that you sort of go, oh, no, next year will be the one that will, you know? I'm not sure. Like, when we went over to the States last year, I, I went to a brewery in, um, not last year, in 2019, I went to a brewery in um, 
in in Portland and um, called Wayfinder, and I had a cold IPA there before they were out here in Australia, um, and I don't think they were even calling it that, but I thought, yeah, I, I, I've got to make this. So I made one last year, but it was really expensive to make, and I've been barred from making it this year, so I'd, I'd like to make that again. Uh, it's, a, it's a great style. I say that mainly because the last beer that I made was with co-conspirators. That was a cold IPA yeah. and just annoyed people because some people get annoyed by that style. And that's I like to annoy people. I like it. It's light and refreshing and hoppy and, um, yeah, I, I think they're great. Well, the, the beauty of being in the Zoom room with us live on a Thursday night is that when we turn off the recording, which I'm going to do in a few moments' time, everyone gets to unmute and you can all unleash your views on Matthew if you're joining us live uh, with your thoughts on whether cold IPA is a valid style or not. But before we get to that particular storm of messiness, um, Matt, I just want to say shout out to you for spending time with us tonight and for producing some awesome beers and having some awesome stories behind them and particularly for sharing the story uh about josh uh porter with us it's a really special to hear stories like that um that's what makes you know getting on board the sessions like this having beers with people is all about having stories and, and having something meaningful to talk about so really appreciate all of that no, thank you, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. 